KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. J. Scott Smith, I present to you this question Spring forward or fall back? I know this doesn't come off as popular to a lot of people because these days they're not too keen on DST, as I like to call it, but. <laughs> I actually like the extra hour of sunlight. Yeah, I'm with you. It is a lifestyle enhancer. Walking to the train after leaving here around 5, you still have some brightness in the sky. I dig it. But I will say this, for anyone out there who may have children, especially young children, they know not of this concept called daylight saving time. Anytime you mess with the clocks, whether it's forward, backwards, in between, (laughs) it leads to a very adventuresome few days as they get their biorhythms adjusted to it. It's also Pi Day. Do we care that it's Pi Day? I'm a big fan of like apple pie, more or less. I, I'm a, I, I, I dig me some cherry pie, but the actual the, the actual number, the 3.14 infinite numbers that follows it, I'm a nerd, but I'm not that much of a nerd. Yeah, I respect the infinite nature of pie. I'm not sure if we need a whole day dedicated to it. We might need a whole show, Jay, dedicated to this topic. I heard about this story a while ago. We've been talking about it, that we've had to get Lynn Adkins on here to talk about this. Imagine being on an island, let's say Rapa Nui, which is Easter Island. You're in the middle of the ocean, but you can go down to the local market and get a chewing gum. She can set a scene, can't she? (laughs) She can. She went all Rapa Nui on us. (laughs) And you might be asking, what is Lynn talking about? She's talking about gum and not just any gum, plant-based gum that can be used to help stop the spread of COVID. Well, I'm definitely in. I will hear more about this gum, this very special chewing gum, coming up from Lynn Atkins in just a little bit. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. But first, we'll start with the latest in Ukraine, and the humanitarian crisis that's unfolded has been just unconscionable. It is massive. According to some estimates, we have close to 3 million refugees that have already fled the country in just under three weeks. I saw the story over the weekend, Jay, where an American journalist was shot by Russian soldiers. And listen, I'm not trying to compare this to the Ukrainian people who are being forced to flee and civilians who are innocently being killed and fighters, members of the military of Ukraine who did not asked for this war. But just for someone here who's so far away to be able to see the images and hear some of these accounts of what's going on over there, it's another layer of this that requires some really brave and courageous work. I mean, we can sit here and talk behind microphones, but for people putting their lives and safety at risk to be out there on the front lines to document the truth of what's happening, um, it's just another layer to this really complicated story. Now, nearly 5,000 miles away, which is crazy to think of, here in Philadelphia, the response to this crisis in Ukraine continues to really be heartening and kind of determined. Now, Sheridan Howard caught up with members of the Ukrainian Educational and Cultural Center in Jenkintown over the weekend, and here's what they had to say. Now more than two weeks into the war in Ukraine, Russian forces continue their assault on the country, and Diana Carnuda has led the charge of volunteers, assisting the people of her homeland of Ukraine box by box and donation by donation, because she says, It hurts to see so many people in pain. She's been working day and night at the Ukrainian Educational and Cultural Center, along with countless others, praying their family and friends back home are safe. You're in anxious state because you don't know what's going to happen next, whether or not they're going to be alive. Only in the States for about two years, most of Carnuda's family is still back in Ukraine. And when she does manage to connect with an uncle, an aunt, or a grandparent, she can hear the fear in their voices. And that's what motivates her most. How my relatives and friends are in fear of being dead. So she says she packs boxes filled with food and other essentials, assisting the best way she can. 
And you can hear more of Shara's conversation with Diana Carnuda on the latest episode of Bridging Philly. That podcast, of course, is here on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcasts. Jay, this story really caught my eye. We're focusing a lot, obviously, on how the Russian invasion of Ukraine is an unprovoked assault on the Ukrainian people. But it goes so much deeper than that. And this story really got me thinking along these lines. It's also an assault on Ukrainian culture, history, heritage. And this feature from Nina Barati really captured the essence of that, I thought. In times of trouble, musicians who play the Ukrainian instrument, the Bandora, say they want to keep its voice alive. We know that the situation in Ukraine right now, or the war in Ukraine, the narrative has been from the Russian government that Ukraine doesn't have its own identity. That's false. That's Anatoly Murha, who full-time works for the Ukrainian Self-Reliance Federal Credit Union. But in his spare time, he's president of the Ukrainian Bandora's Chorus of North America. It has been targeted in the past to be eliminated. We want to make sure that doesn't happen. The ensemble was originally founded in Ukraine in 1918 and at one point was disbanded during World War II. It has since regrouped and travels the world with a chorus singing along to the music. You can actually play melodies on two hands. Anatoly, a Ukrainian-American who learned how to play as a kid, calls it the voice and soul of Ukraine. He says with their ongoing crisis, they see their role as guardians of the Bandora. Could you imagine that, Jay, someone not just trying to erase you, but something that is the voice and soul of your community, your culture? I mean, let's, I think, I'm trying to think, uh, what musical instrument has been created here in America? The banjo, maybe? I'm trying to think of prominent instruments, but yeah. just even beyond that, any cultural artifact or item that represents such a big part of your identity that people are just trying to wipe out. It's hard to watch, but at the same time, it's still amazing to see how, how much Ukrainians are fighting back through all this. And a big part of Philadelphia's culture is the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade, which made its return yesterday after two years due to COVID. I don't live that far from where this parade was. So yesterday, it was pretty evident when I would look out the window and see traffic backed up from all different directions. And I could see Irish flags in the distance and a whole lot of fire trucks and a lot of people marching and having fun. It was actually really cool to have the St. Patrick's Day Parade back. I've done this for two years before the pandemic. It was a lot of fun. I have friends and family who also march as well. Dancers as well as different unions. So it's a lot of fun. It's cool. I, what I like about St. Patrick's Day is that everyone gets together for a common camaraderie. And it's a more of a positive gathering. And plenty of bagpipes. Lots and lots of bagpipes. I was hearing that in the distance all, all throughout the afternoon yesterday. I wonder why the Schuylkill or the Delaware have, or maybe even the Wissahickon, why have those never been dyed green? You know, Chicago, the Chicago River, they dye it green for St. Patrick's Day. There's probably, um, there's probably reasons for that. There's probably a joke there that is yeah. like, <laughs> dye it green. We're just trying to get it to not be brown sometimes. But that, right. the, that, that, that was a lot of fun yesterday. And of course, you can find out more about that and everything else we've talked about here on our website, kywnewsradio.com. And as you heard from Lynn Atkins earlier, there's a chewing gum. They could help stop the spread of viral diseases such as COVID. And if you think it sounds too good to be true, well, you're not alone. But guess what? Might not be that far off. And it's being developed right here in the city of Philadelphia. Lynn Atkins is going to join us to talk more about that coming up here in a moment. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. And a plant-based gum being used in the fight against COVID. We've gone through masks. We've gone through vaccines. Gum, though? Really? 
When I heard Lynn Adkins bring this story up, I was like, we got to bring Lynn in <laughs> to talk about this because it does sound like it's it's almost not only too good to be true, but also something so very simplistic that sounds too good to be true. But as it turns out, there's a lot more work, years and years of work that went into developing this thing. And Lynn's going to talk about it with us right now. So Lynn, is the secret here that we should have all just been eating a whole bunch of salad the last two years. We're going to stop this thing right in its tracks. Well, if life was only that easy, unfortunately, no, not so much. They are using lettuce to make this gum, but it's not just the lettuce that you're going to pick out of your backyard. It's going to be specially grown lettuce that is enhanced with proteins and enzymes specifically targeted to COVID-19. But the bottom line is it's still lettuce. It's incredible. What is the story here? Get us into this a little bit more. Could a plant-based protein actually really help stop the spread? Absolutely, 100%. And like everything else with COVID, there are researchers all over the world doing things in their labs. And then along comes COVID and they say, oh, what I'm working on may have an application to this pandemic. This is the same thing. We have researchers at Penn who are looking at enzymes that are naturally occurring in the mouth. And when there's not enough of these enzymes, they can cause lung issues, heart issues, hypertension, all these type of issues. So they're working on this, trying to work on this enzyme. Along comes COVID-19. It causes heart issues. It causes lung issues. It causes high blood pressure issues. It's found in the saliva, and it replicates in the mouth. Well, maybe these two can be connected. And indeed, they are. So the researchers come up with a way to take the saliva and use a, an enhanced protein to capture the saliva, neutralize the COVID, block it from you having it in your system. And also, by capturing the molecules, they allow you not to give it to somebody else. And they come up with this great plan that they're going to make a powder out of this enhanced lettuce. And like everything else with COVID, the research was going on for years, and now we're able to put it into effect very quickly. This is a really important point. It's not like, oh, March 13th, 2020, this pandemic hits the United States, and let's wake up and try and figure out a solution. They were going back and retracing steps on projects it sounds like they've been working on for years. This is knowledge that's been built up that they're trying to figure out how to apply in different areas? That's exactly the case. For example, take the mRNA vaccines. This is not new technology. It didn't just happen, like you're saying. They'd been working on it for decades. Well, that's what they were doing with this research. And then you have a problem that's hitting the entire world. And researchers all over the world are saying, well, what are we working on that can be applied here? And that's how we're coming up with all of these wonderful innovations so fast. Let's go back to lettuce itself. Why did they zero in on lettuce here? What is it specifically about lettuce that makes it so powerful when used this way? They focused on lettuce because it's easily grown. It's available worldwide. It's a thin texture, so it can be easily made into this gum powder. People eat it everywhere in the world. There are very few issues with it. So it's something that can be used and it can be consumed by the human body without any issues. So it was the perfect choice. And it's, it grows fast. It grows really fast. It seems like we might have two stars to this story. Lettuce, 
But then also the doctors, the researchers, the scientists who are behind this. Who did you speak with? I spoke with Dr. Henry Daniel. He's a professor of biochemistry, and he's been working on it for quite a long time. And yes, he's a star. And he explains it brilliantly. We have now tested hundreds and hundreds of uh, humans. And we find that when people chew the gum, it is pretty much will trap the virus and Two important things will happen after that. It prevents reinfection for the patients. The second is that it prevents transmission. Think about it. You're talking about a chewing gum that if you use four times a day, you're just chewing four times a day for 10 minutes at a day, you can capture 95% of the COVID virus. And it's just chewing gum. Easy to store. Just throw it in a bag, and you can use it at the first sign of a sniffle, or you have a scratchy throat. Just chew some gum. It's all done. The problem with the things that are being used for COVID is that keeping them is a problem. For example, the vaccine, they must be stored at extremely cold temperatures. That's a problem in a lot of parts of the world. Some of the therapeutics must be an infusion, which requires a hospital stay. Not easy in all parts of the world, but a piece of chewing gum that doesn't have to be stored at a specific temperature can be thrown on a shelf for months or years, thrown in your handbag. It's a game changer. And that's the beauty of this. Can you imagine how exciting it is to come up with this? What did he say? How excited was he? He was thrilled. He was beyond himself. (laughs) Well, you know, in science, not everything works. And when they work, it's really exciting. This is, it's all based on solid scientific principles that this enzyme is the one that the virus targets, and therefore we use this enzyme. Actually, if the enzyme is continuously active in the saliva, people wouldn't be going to the hospital. Unfortunately, when the virus binds to the enzyme, it inactivates the enzyme, and that's where the problem starts. And so our solution was to fight back the virus using the same target that the virus is using. He's at the process of asking the FDA for EUA, emergency use authorization, because that's the next step. But it involves thousands and thousands of papers of documents as the research continues. So people who think, oh, the FDA gives an EUA for things so fast, we're speedlining all this stuff, it's really not that fast. It takes researchers a lot of time to get all the paperwork and everything together. But once the approval, if it does come through, is given, after that, did you get an idea of what the timeline could look like for distribution? It could be very easy. It doesn't take long to make chewing gum. The lettuce is around. They just have to enhance it. It could be throughout the world. Imagine being on an island, let's say Rapa Nui, which is Easter Island. You're in the middle of the ocean. You don't have an infusion. You probably don't have extremely cold refrigerators. But you can go down to the local market and get a chewing gum. And, and, and the, the, the beauty of this, this chewing gum, remember, coronavirus, COVID-19, a cold is a coronavirus. So this chewing gum will work on colds. He says it will also work on flu, HIV, and HPV, which is human papillomavirus. So the implications of this are far-reaching. It's only just the beginning. It is a little bit wild when you think about it and step back, and there's just been so much tragedy and hardships brought on by the pandemic of the last two years. 
But this is yet another thing where you're like, if not for COVID, do you think they would have stumbled upon this or tripped upon this discovery connection to this accelerate the application of how they could use some of the proteins found in certain plants to help combat the spread of disease? I hate to speak for him, but at first blush looking at this, I would say no. Why would they have turned their eyes on something that wasn't even on their radar? I think they would have continued working on their research, as important as it is, but as you said, if not for COVID. We just finished um, a large study with Omicron. So this gum, when we publish our paper, we use Delta strain and Beta strain. Now, Omicron, the viral load is a lot more than other viruses, other strains. And so we were eager to test. And every test that we have done with Omicron, it's the same thing. 95, 98% was knocked off by this enzyme. Another thing I wonder about is what are some motivations and driving factors for researchers or scientists? I'm sure the thrill of discovery, as you explained, that's one big rush that's gotten. But also this issue of accessibility of care. Like for me, I know that over the last couple of years, if I feel the, the slightest symptom of a cold, I'm going to go rush to the pharmacy and get these zinc-based tablets to help start to fight off some Symptoms, stuff like Zycam. That Not anymore. Exactly. Now you're going to get chewing gum. <laughs> right. Because it could be as simple as if you're walking home and you stop by the newsstand on 12th and Market, you can get your soft pretzel, your anti-COVID spread gum, the accessibility factor. I think that's such a huge frontier when we look big picture at how we can try and wrestle a problem like COVID. That's something that should be on the forefront. It seems like this could present a solution. Well, it will be now because let's be honest. This is a global pandemic. And if people are thinking it is going to be the last pandemic in our lifetime, I think they're sorely mistaken. We have many issues on this planet, overpopulation, lack of water, lack of food for a lot of people, which will lead to other issues. We could face this again, a different pandemic. And now we have tools that may be applicable in terms of access, would people need a prescription for this, or could they just buy it easily and readily? That's unknown. That's up to the FDA to determine. Dr. Daniel is hoping that it's available readily, but it's not up to him to decide. We have a sense of the timeline. If approved, what could happen next? Anything else as far as items on the list that researchers would need to check off in order for this to be put into production? Not that I'm aware of. I think the only problem that you might run into, which we have run into with other issues concerning COVID-19, is people out there thinking things are being rushed through too quickly, and this is all happening too fast, and that the science is not behind it. And I think I want to get the message out that the science is clearly behind it. This is not something that was rushed through. This is not something that they said, oh, let's just do this tomorrow. It's been in research, and it's been in the works for years. We just have an application for it now. Lynn, this is an awesome, really, really cool story. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. You're more than welcome. So yeah, Jay, how about that? Easily grown, easily accessible, you would think affordable, potentially plant-based gum to help against COVID and a slew of other things. Being able to run into a drugstore and get it, or even get it prescribed, whatever it takes to be able to fight off things like this, because it's not just COVID. 
Yeah. It's a whole bunch of different things, too. Really cool story there by Lynn Atkins. You, of course, can hear her on KYW News Radio. Plus, you can find the story on our website, kywnewsradio.com. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. Thank you for joining us on this Monday, and we'll see you again tomorrow.